Well, good morning. Who's happy today? Handful of you. Hopefully, by the time you end, the time we end today, you will be crazy happy. We started a brand new series entitled "Crazy Happy." Pastor Aaron Crane, our worship pastor, opened us up last week. He did a great job. Were you here last week to hear Aaron? Give it up for Aaron. If you missed out, please go back and listen to the sermon. It is a great intro to this series. Pastor Andy will be uh, wrapping it up next week, and uh, and so we're gonna have a good time with that. But I noticed that Pastor Aaron and I. Someone had snapped a picture of us from behind, and I recognized something that we kind of need from each other. And so let me show you that picture, see if you see the subtle hint. Looks something like this. (laughs) He completes me. He completes me. I love the guy. He's a great guy. But we got something different going on there. So we started this, this series. The bottom line that we walked away with last week was that God wants each and every one of us to be happy, not because of what we do, but because of who we are in Jesus. Now, the most amazing sermon that was ever preached, we find in the book of Matthew, chapters five, six, and seven, Jesus preached it. He preached it from what it's called the the Mount of Beatitudes, or there's a a mountainside that's near um, the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. In fact, as we open chapter five, the very beginning of the sermon, we get this introduction where it says, one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down, his disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Now, we can just overlook that intro very quickly, but recognize that this is an actual place, an actual location, and this is how it looks. So let me give you a picture of this is what's called the Mount of Beatitudes around the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful spot. There are other mountainsides, but this is the only location where you could get thousands of people that would come and see Jesus. And so this little location here is referenced. You see the, the, the Catholic Church, they, they always put a, a, a symbolism of an area of Scripture or Jesus' uh, ministry or his walk. And Jesus oftentimes taught around the Sea of Galilee. And so here is where this actual spot where you can gather and see that there would be thousands of people that would reside here. But you have to ask yourself the question is, I'm speaking to hundreds of you this morning. I have a microphone, a whole production team. How in the world did Jesus do this with thousands of people with none of that available? Well, why don't you come with us and find out? Because we speak the Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes in that location. My wife and I have led five tours to Israel. We're doing another one in May, the 2nd through the 11th. If you text the word Israel to our church number, 951-425-4425, We'll send you some information. Please wait till tomorrow. I got a couple things I got to do this morning. And so I'll text you back in the morning with all the details. We have an interest meeting coming up in September. My cousin, who is retired Green Beret, spends a lot of time in Israel. We're going to uh, Zoom call him and have him tell you what Israel is like so you feel the safety of it. There are no restrictions, no vaccinations, no boosters, none of that stuff available, no masks, all that today. You know how it goes. All right, so there's your infomercial. Come to Israel with us. It is the most amazing experience of a lifetime. But we want to jump in and dive into these Beatitudes. All right, there's eight or nine of them. We'll see. I'm going to do four today. Andy will do the rest. I'll see if he does four or five. Uh, But these are the Beatitudes, not the, the do attitudes. And there's a couple of observations to make. Each and every one starts with the word blessed. Now, not blessed as in you get a lot of things. Oftentimes, it's translated happy. 
But the problem is, happy in our culture, like I came out and asked you if you were happy, some of you responded, some of you didn't, because a lot of it deals with the external circumstances that are around you, whether you're happy or not. These Beatitudes are about what is happening internally. It's an internal joy that is found in the most unlikely places of all time. So better, it could be translated, happiness occurs, or what I think maybe really nails it is utter fulfillment. Utter fulfillment can be yours when this happens in your life. Now, secondly, another observation about all these Beatitudes is that it always ends with some sort of a promise of what we can expect. If this internal joy is occurring, this will take place. And that's why there's a lot of for they or for theirs is. And so we're going to look at the, the, the beatitude and the promise that goes with it. All right, so you ready? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 is the first one, where it said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now you say, oh my goodness, this is something really different. This is countercultural, that we can only be happy when we're poor. And we think of the word poor as not having something or, or doing without or wishing we, we had something different. But this is for those that realize that it's something that you can't even obtain or get on your own. That you come to a realization that this is missing in my life and there's nothing I can work for or do differently, but there's something that needs to occur inside of me for this to happen. And this is difficult for us in Western society. We live in Western culture. We live in Southern California and wealthy and that sometimes we don't recognize. In fact, if you came to church today in a vehicle and you're gonna go home today and maybe turn on the air conditioner in a home that you rent or live in, you are amongst the richest people in the world. And so it's very difficult for us to understand what it is to be poor or without. When I was a youth pastor, we would take students on missions trips, not to be a blessing to the missionary, but rather that from the missionary and from the mission field, our kids would see the things that they have in this earth and, the, and that there are people that live without much of what they have back at home. And so as Pastor Mark, the guy that was up here doing announcements, he has taken people on short-term mission trips as well. We go and build homes. That's a blessing to the families. But normally, more than not, our teams come back changed because they get a different perspective. Other translations took this same verse, this same beatitude, and they interpret it this way. The New Living says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. God's Word version, it says, blessed are those who recognize that they are spiritually helpless. And then the Message Bible says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Have you ever been at the end of your rope before? You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope because when there's less of you, there's more of God. That's when we trust him, right? We're hanging by the end of the rope saying, God, get me out of this one. And there's more of God, less of me. To be crazy happy is really to understand that we are spiritually bankrupt. We are nothing without him. We cannot obtain it on our own. It's something that we have to trust that God did for us. In the book of Revelation, John has these dreams and these connections uh, with Jesus and with that, we have the, the written scripture of his revelation, and we see that his communication with Jesus, Jesus says, you say that you're rich. You say that you have everything that you want, that you don't need a thing, but you don't realize Jesus saying to John, to all of us, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 
Hallelujah. There's a great message from Jesus. My goodness. Jesus just lays it down on the carpet saying, here's where you're at. And you don't recognize it. You don't acknowledge it because you live in a different culture and you don't see what it is to be spiritually poor, stripped of everything, realizing that you cannot obtain this on your own. But once you obtain it, once you understand it, once you acknowledge it and recognize it, then the promise is the kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of heaven? But eternity. We only have a few years here on this planet, but there is eternity waiting for those that know who Jesus is. And it's only for those that will say that they are poor in spirit. If you're not ready to acknowledge that, know that here are some things that happen when we are without Jesus. There are four things that happens when we're without Jesus. Romans 3, 23 says, for all have sinned, all, everyone, not a single one left out. All have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God. There's this chasm, there's this distance between us and God. And the only way to fill it is something that pays for that sin. If you look at Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, separation from God permanently, forever. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So we realize that without Jesus, we fall short. We miss what it is to connect with God relationally. We miss what it is to connect with God eternally. And we have to pay the eternal price unless you acknowledge and recognize that there's a Jesus who paid it for you. He paid the wage. He paid the penalty. It was done on the cross. It was done for you and for me. This side of heaven, without Jesus, we have no hope. We don't even know what our purpose is on this planet. So we just do the same thing, the daily, weekly grind of life, not realizing that there's a purpose and a plan. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Jesus' purpose is fulfilled with those who acknowledge that they are spiritually bankrupt. And fourthly, without Jesus, we only have however many years we're given this side of heaven. For some, that's too few, and for some, it's longer. But we only have those years to look forward to rather than the years of eternity that exists on the other side of heaven. First Peter chapter 1 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy, something undeserved, something you can't get on your own. It's his mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead now. We live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, for me, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. This is yours for the asking. So what's the bottom line of this beatitude? The happiest people in the world are those who can say, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And some of you are right on the verge. You fall short of making that decision. You have not come to a place of acknowledging what Christ did on the cross for you, believing in that sacrifice that was given, his resurrection from that tomb, and it was all done on our behalf and it was done for each one of us. And so for those that say, Jesus, I need you, the promise is the eternal kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm gonna give you a glimpse to the end of our sermon today. The end of our sermon, I'm going to have our prayer team coming up here for several different reasons, because I'm going to ask some of you to be big, bold, and brave, and to get out of your seat and come up and pray with these people. And so I'm already warning you, what's ahead? It's nothing to embarrass you. It's nothing to call you out. We won't put you on camera. We're not going to do any of that. We just want you to be able to have someone to pray with you. And so if today is your day to say, you know what? I'm done falling short of God's kingdom. I'm done trying to do this on my own. 
I'm willing to say today, Jesus, I need you, and I will pray that prayer with someone today. So just hold on to that. That's at the end. Second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Say, wait a minute, what does this mean? I think of all the Beatitudes, the first one's most important because if you don't say, Jesus, I need you, then the rest of them really kind of come and go and they're not a part of those that are separated from God. But once you do know Jesus, once you have made that decision, know that mourning is going to happen. We want to think that bad things shouldn't happen to good people, but they do. And if you want to be crazy happy today, you need to understand that God will show up for those of you that are going through bad stuff. The Message Bible interprets this beatitude this way. It says, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you because only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. See, God's saying, if you want to be crazy happy, you've got to recognize the fact that you are going to go through crisis. You're going to experience some bad days bad weeks, bad months. You're going to experience those, that side of heaven. But when you do, when you know my son Jesus, you can be comforted during that morning. There are what's called life's storms, and they look different for everybody. For some of you, it's a light drizzle. It's just something that's just nagging at you. For others of you, it's a, it's a, a continuous uh, downfall of rain, or, or it could be as powerful as a tsunami. You are going through a life crisis. You've gone through loss, or you've gone through change, or you're going through something internally, internally today that you are experiencing that mourning, that grief, that crisis that you are experiencing today. The problem is a lot of this morning or a lot of these tsunamis or storms of life come suddenly. It's that phone call in the middle of, of the night to talk or to uh, uh, inform of an accident or a sickness. Sometimes the storm rolls in like a fog where one day we're experiencing employment and the next day we're not. One day we're thriving in business until the next day we're closing our doors. One day we're paying the mortgage and the next day we're losing our house. One day we're, we're married and in solid relationship with our best friend and the next day we're separated and going through a divorce. Everyone is going through these crises of life. They, the fact of the matter is that God never can be controlled and God never can be predicted to know what he will do or, or what he will allow in our lives, meaning that not a single one of us is immune from a storm. So whatever your storm, and it may not be as big as the person next to you, but it doesn't matter, it's your storm. It's your crisis that you're facing. And so what do we do during it? Look at what David says in the Psalms. He says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. You see, blessed or happy or fulfilled are those that in their mourning they recognize that there is a God who's close by. Isaiah chapter 55 says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What is God saying? During your time of grief, during your time of crisis, know this, that your problems are not pointless. They are purposeful in God's hands. And sometimes this side of heaven, it's hard to understand what he's doing in the background. What is God making happen? See, God does not necessarily change our tragedy. Rather, he changes us 
through the tragedy. God's plans are always something better. We may not get it this side of heaven. Sometimes you get the answer of why this thing occurred because you can look back in faith and know what, how, know how and what God did and how he worked in it. But sometimes we will not know. But when we get to see God face to face, the other side of eternity, when God tells you why you went through that crisis and what his purpose and his plan was, I can guarantee you will go, ah, now I see it. Now I get it. Because God does not disappoint. He has a purpose and a plan. So what do you do when you're experiencing a bad day or maybe your worst day? Do these things. Remember these things. They come from the book of 2 Corinthians. First of all, remember God's power. And 2 Corinthians says, we were crushed and overwhelmed. This is Paul and his group of people. They were going through the most a crazy tsunami of life, the crazy storm of life. You can go back and, and read what was happening to them and you would never wish it on anyone. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought that we would never even live through it. You ever go through a crisis and say, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. I'm not sure that I can get myself up in the morning and, and face life. I'm not sure that I'm going to live through this. That's where Paul was. He says, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely on God who raises the dead. See, Paul remembered the power of the resurrection and that power of the resurrection that's ours, that when something has died, when someone has passed, God is in the resurrection business. He may not bring that person back to you today, but in eternity, we can be with that person again. You may experience a crisis in life where something, a relationship has died or, or your work situation has died. God's still in the resurrection business. And so we can rely on his power. Secondly, we can remember his purpose. Paul says, he did not rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We realize that in the past he rescued us and so he's going to do it over and over and over again. If we could rely on him then, he saw us through that in the past, he will see us through this in the future. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. You see, the focus here that when we're going through the storms of life is, Rather than what's happening to you, what's happening in you? What does God have for you? Not why is God doing this, but what, God, do you want me to learn? What, God, do you want me to do differently? What, God, do you have for me? Because I trust in your purpose. The third thing to remember is God's people. Paul says, please help us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks for the blessings we receive in answer to all these prayers. In other words, don't go at it alone. See, God is merciful. He is the father and the resource of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that why? That we can comfort others. Could you be going through what you're experiencing today so that you can help someone in the future go through it? You've learned to rely on a great big God and he brought you through. You have that trust and that faith that he will bring you through. What if the purpose and plan of God having you experience it so that you can take someone else through it? So that the comfort that you received, you can give that comfort to someone else because God promises that those who mourn will be the happiest people on the planet because they will be comforted. Fourth, don't rem or remember God's promise. We can jump to Revelation chapter 21. It's the end of the story. We are fortunate to have a book that has an end. And so we can look forward to the future. And we see where Jesus is telling John, he says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. 
Eternity now is set for everyone, and he will dwell. He will be with each and every one. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will, listen, wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. See, this side of heaven, we were not told that we would be exempt from storms and floods and crises and tsunamis, but rather in them and through them, for those who have said yes to Jesus, he will provide the comfort to get us through. What's the bottom line of, of this beatitude is that the happiest people in the world know this. They trust the fact that God's got this. God's going to see me through it. But some of you today are experiencing that and you're just not sure. You feel all alone. You feel deserted. I, I know Jesus, but this storm in my life that I'm experiencing, I, I don't know. I'm not feeling the comfort that he has. Well, as I mentioned, at the end of today, there's going to be a prayer team of people up here. And if you're going through a crisis today and it's time to invite someone to pray with you over that crisis, today's the day. Be bold, be brave, get out of your seat in a moment. Come up here and pray with someone over that crisis because God is the God of comfort. Maybe some of you need that comfort that he provides today. The third beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meekness is not a word we kind of use in our vocabulary. I'm not sure if you do or not. Hey, who's that girl? She looks sharp. She looks fine. Well, tell me about her. Oh, she's meek. We don't, that just doesn't sound right. So we don't use it much in our culture. We don't know how to put it in good context. But here's the key. Meekness is not weakness. Can you say that with me? Say it out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Meekness is not weakness. Okay, three of you believe that. How about the rest of you? Ready? One, two, three. Meekness is not weakness. You have to know what that is. What this is, the opportunity that your words, that your actions, that your personality can be strong, but it's this strength that's being brought under control. There's a surrendering to say, I know my words can damage that person. I know my actions can take that person out. I know I can draw a line in the sand in this relationship. And God says, no. See, for those that know Jesus, it's about meekness. And so I'll bring that strength that you possess under control because it's not about you. It's not about them. It's about you choosing to be something more than that. In Matthew 19, it says, many who are the greatest now will be the least important. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest. See, there's a, there's a perspective change. There's a counterculture. We want to say, I'm important. It's all about me. God says, no, not really. We need to remember Jesus was the example of one who humbled himself. He used the strength that was all his. He was God. He could have done this any way that he wanted, but rather Jesus arrived by a very unusual pregnancy. He was born in an animal stall. He grew up in Nazareth, which Nazareth is like the other side of the tracks. Even to this day, it's just kind of dumpy. I'll take you there. It's kind of a cool place to see because you can see Jesus' place that he grew up. But the reality is it's still a dump even today. He could have acted as a king and he could have rode in on a, on a white stallion rather than a donkey. He washed his disciples' stinking feet. He was executed on a cross like a criminal in public so that anybody passing by could see it. 
See, Jesus did things different. What if we were able to control our tongue, control our personalities, control our strength to draw that line in the sand and say, no, it's time to be meek. It's time to understand what it is to be humble. Jesus says, you can inherit the whole earth. You can have it all. Just dial it back. Understand what it is to be humble. See, what happens is there's something that just kind of creeps inside of us and it begins to work inside of us. And before we know it, we begin to puff out our chest and we begin to say, it's all about me. And the Bible addresses it in James chapter four. It says, what's causing all these quarrels and fights among you? Isn't the whole army of evil desires that are at war within you? Some of you are struggling with evil desires that are in you now. You're, you're, you're struggling with things that you, that you want to have, things that you, you want to take, or things that you want to feel. And so James addresses it when he says in verse two, you want what you don't have, so you'll scheme and kill to get it. Well, you may not be a murderer, but you'll put a relationship to death because you just got to have it. Someone said happiness isn't having what you want, but wanting what you have already, acknowledging and recognizing what God has given to you. And some of you will go to bizarre ends in which to get it. In verse two, he says, in James, he says, you are jealous for what others have. You can't possess it, so you fight and quarrel and take it away from them. You feel, you feel threatened by what others have, and so you just want to take and take and take and take, and it's mine, 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 mine. We tie our net worth to our self-worth, and we're, we're disappointed, and, and we feel entitled to something. Our motivation then becomes envy. If we, if we just make more, get more, change this or that, then we'll be happy. There's only one problem. You'll always want to go to the next level. There's this diminished in return that says, once I have it, once I get it, it's not enough, I want more. Once I have it, once I get it, it's not enough, I want more. And God says, no, blessed are those that understand what it is to be meek and humble, and then they will inherit everything the earth has to offer. James chapter four, verse three says, you want what would only give you pleasure. When our desires are out of control, they can become destructive. We become consumed. We become obsessed over work or food or money or spending or sex or a certain lifestyle or addictions or the internet or pornography. Someone other than your spouse will become addicted to these things. And God says, you will never know what it is to inherit the earth because it requires a humility. In James chapter four, verse six, it says, he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. The scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God. For some of you today, there is a wage of war within you. You're just constantly going through all these selfish desire and you are actually experiencing internal unhappiness. You will never enjoy life. Instead of being thankful for the blessings that you do have, you'll tend to complain about the blessings that you don't have. And so the bottom line of this beatitude is that the happiest people in the world are those that choose to remain humble. Humble. And for some of you today, it's been all about you. It's been all about everything you're doing. And you've lost sight that, you know what? Everything that there is, is God's anyway. Anything that I have, God gave it. And I've lost my perspective, and it's time for a little humble adjustment in our life. And so today, at the end of the sermon, there's going to be a prayer 
team sitting here, and maybe today you just need to pray over God, allow me to be meek today. Allow me to take the strength that you have given me and to bring it under control and to humble myself knowing that you will allow me to inherit the entire earth if I would just be humble like your son, Jesus. The fourth beatitude. Blessed, verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. They will be satisfied. They will be content. Do you know what it is to be filled and satisfied and content? It's like when you're, when you're hungry and thirsty, you go to the fridge, you open it, and you just stare. There's got to be something in here. You just, can't, you just can't fulfill the hunger and the thirst. You go to Cheesecake Factory and you get out the big manual and you just go through it. Ah, I don't know if there's anything here I want to eat. You know, it's all there for you, but you're not hungering and thirsting after the right things. If you want to be satisfied and content, you've got to ask yourself, what are you filling yourself up with? Could it be that you're filling yourself up with the wrong things? Ever go to a Mexican restaurant and get chips and salsa? And by the time you're done with the chips and salsa, nah, I'm good. I don't need to eat. I'm full. You go to Texas. We went to Texas Roadhouse this week, our little grandson's birthday. It's crazy and chaotic there on a Wednesday. It's just, um, uh, if people are really struggling and not employed, I don't know. They go there and they spend a lot of money. Meat comes out like, you know, the Flintstones. You know, if, I don't know if you're, that's a bad. <laughs> Some of you know exactly where I went with the Flintstones. Others are going, who are they? Are they people that live in Wildemar? No. <laughs> they bring out just meat. There's just tons of meat. But before they bring the meat, they bring bread. Oh, all the grandkids, here, eat more bread, eat more bread, eat more bread, fill up on the bread. They take the bread, they dip it in butter. There's this other butter. I don't know what that is. That needs to go away. That's bad in your mouth. I don't know what that butter is. But this bread, you fill up on it. And you realize you don't even have anything of meat or vegetables or anything that will satisfy. You're just filled up on bread. You're filled up on the wrong things. Solomon, known to be the wisest, richest people, richest person on the planet, he has this little book in, in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes. There's only 12 chapters. For 11 chapters of it, he describes his life. He had everything, anything he could want, anything he could ask for. And he begins to tell us the satisfaction or the dissatisfaction of having it all. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Everything is worrisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. He continues in chapter 2. Anything I wanted, I could take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all just meaningless. By chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. He continues in chapter five. He says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. I think it can rent it for a little while. It just isn't forever. The more that you have, the more people will come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip right through your fingers? He goes through 11 chapters saying all the things of the world just don't satisfy. They don't bring the contentment. And so he ends in chapter 12 with the advice that we need to hear that goes in alignment with this beatitude. He says this in verse 13 and 14 of chapter 12. The last and final word is this. Fear God. Remember, culturally, that's different. It's not the fear that we think of being afraid of God. Fear was an honor. Honor God, make him first. Hunger and thirst, crave God. Do what he tells you. You see, God has something to fully satisfy you and me, and yet we choose not to take it. We just stand there and stare at the refrigerator. We stare at the menu. 
God is offering something. We choose not to take it. Knowing there is something that will change your life and yet you don't choose it appears to be foolish. If I had the cure for cancer and said, it's right here, it's yours free, come get it, there would be a line out the door. But I have the cure for death and yet some of us choose not to take it. You see, I, live, I do good things. I, I go to church on Sunday. I, I pray every once in a while. I, I give here and there. So everything should be fine, right? Well, there are those that need to say, I need Jesus. There are those that are going through some tough times and need to understand what it is to be comforted by him. That God's got this. God will see you through it. For some, you seem to be humbled. And for others, we need to recognize that we need to crave God again. We've drifted so far away, we don't even know the last time we spent any time with him. He's just a hunger and thirst over righteousness. And righteousness basically means two things. One is to be in right standing with God. And the other is that we choose to live right this side of heaven. And for some of us, we've drifted so far away that we're not in right relationship with God. Some of us, we, we choose different styles of, of, of lifestyle and, and things in our life that take us away from God. And maybe today is the day where as the prayer team comes up in front here, you say, it's time that I reprioritize my life. I've drifted too far away. It's time to recenter back with God again. And you choose to be bold and be brave and get out of your seat and be in a place where you can begin to get back in alignment with him and allow the Beatitudes to be a place where you would say, it's time for me to be poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt. It's time for me to mourn over my crisis because it's only him that will bring comfort. It's time for me to not make it all about me, but to make it about God and reprioritize my life today. It's time for me to hunger and thirst after him rather than all the things of the world because the promises that he provides are almost immeasurable. You will receive the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted. You will inherit all the things of the earth. All that God is, is all for you. If you just take these four Beatitudes spoken from a hillside to thousands of people saying, today is your day. Today is your day that you say, I need Jesus. Today is your day where you need to be comforted knowing that God's got this. Today is your day where you need to be humble. Today is your day where you need to crave for something different. Today will you be brave and bold? and move for Jesus' sake. The prayer team is here in place. They're ready to just spend time, hold your hand, put your arm around you, or leave you at six foot distance, whatever is good for you. But maybe today's your day. Would you all stand with me? I want you to stand because I'm gonna pray for all of you, but I want you to stand so you can get out of the way in case people wanna move through the aisle and get to these people to pray. So God, I pray for each one that's here. I pray, God, whatever's going on in their life, if they're separated from you, I pray today they would say, I need Jesus, and come tell someone. 
If they are facing a life storm, I pray, God, that they would understand that you provide the comfort in their morning. If life is just all about them and they got all their priorities messed up, I pray, God, that they would come and seek humility. And if they've drifted from you, I pray today they would crave more of you and less of them. God, you're good. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before you leave, if you need to come and pray with someone, come this way. If you're crazy happy, you can go that way and go home and enjoy your day. But before you go, pray with someone. Tell them where you're at today. Tell them if you need Jesus. Tell them if you need comfort. Tell them if you need to be in a place where you would say, I need to get my priorities right. Tell them if you need to be in a place where you say, you know what? My cravings are wrong. Today I hunger and thirst after Jesus. Love you. Have an amazing day.